Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We start a new series today called The Problem with Shortcuts. And uh, I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. You know, when I go home to see my folks, um, I've been asked before, because I talk about it a lot, I talk about going home, and people will say, well, Brett, how, how long does it take you to get home? Well, it takes about three hours. And, and I've, been, I've said this ever since I've lived in Terre Haute. There's no easy way to get there. It's going to take you three hours unless you break the law by a lot. It's going, to, it's going to take you three hours to get to my hometown of Florence, Kentucky. Now, there is a little ramp that you can take just before you enter Ohio, off of high, uh, Interstate 74, and it's, you get on Highway 1, and if you're lucky and you don't get behind trucks, maybe you cut a five or ten minutes off your trip, but I don't even do that anymore because I just get tired of getting behind the trucks. It just p- takes my head to a place I don't need to be. I, I have a tendency to say things pastors shouldn't say. So I just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, my heart does not look like the heart of a man of God sometimes when I'm behind those trucks and I want to get around them. So um, it's just easier for me to stay on the main road and, and do it that way. But there is a shortcut. Um, my, my brother called me this week. He was working on a Macintosh machine, an Apple machine, and um, he, he was trying to figure out how to do some short uh, keyboard shortcuts. And he said, Brett, how do I... How do I cut and paste on this thing? So I explained that to him. And it's wonderful to be, if you're in an office environment, you're on a keyboard all the time, it's kind of nice to be able to use those keyboard shortcuts. It's a lot easier to do that. Your, your hands don't have to travel as far. You don't have to reach over and grab a mouse and hit the buttons and lose your focus. And um, So the keyboard shortcuts are, are really a great thing. And uh, it can save you a lot of time. It can save you a lot of effort. We all learned growing up that, that uh, there are going to be shortcuts at times, and that sometimes those shortcuts aren't very good. Now, my father um, was, a, was a truck driver, and w- when you hear truck driver, I don't know what comes to your mind. I think, you know, a lot of people think of some big, burly, cigar-smoking, stinky, greasy, you know, just kind of, if you're a truck driver, I don't mean to put you down, but, you know, I've, I've had people make those assumptions about my dad. And, uh, but my dad was not like that. When my dad left to go drive the truck, and he was gone for a day and a half at a time, he looked sharp. He had on dress shirts. He wanted mom to roll up the cuff to a certain length. He, he had, we wore dress slacks. He wore bright, shiny wingtip shoes. Um, and I was the one. All of the kids had a turn. We, you know, as we went through life, there was a stage of life we came into where we were expected to be the one to shine Jet Dad's shoes. And when the phone rang and they were going to, you know, the dispatcher called and was going to send dad out on the road, one of the first questions was, are my shoes shined? The answer better be yes, okay? If it wasn't yes, we would scurry downstairs. And when it was my turn to be the shoe shine person, I would go downstairs and I'd be in a hurry and I'd know he was, he was getting up there, getting ready to go and I had to get these shoes ready. And from time to time, I might be tempted, and he showed me how he wanted it done. There were several steps, and from time to time, I might be tempted to skip a step or two, and it always showed. Dad could tell when I had skipped a step, and I would, you know, I would almost like, you know, we present an offering to God. I would go up and present the shoes and back away and, you know, hope that Dad didn't notice that I'd skipped a step, and it never worked. He'd always say, you skipped a step, didn't you? You didn't, you didn't buff those out. Did You didn't use the... The thing I gave you, no, I didn't. Brett, go do them again. I'll wait until you're done. Go do them again. Brett, when are you going to learn that you can't skip the steps? 
It's easier to do it right the first time than to do it wrong and then have to go back and do it again. How many of you got that lecture from your parents, right? We've all been taught that. We've all been taught, don't skip the steps. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. I just wonder if I could get your mind blank this morning for just a minute, and if I were to ask you, if I were to say the word shortcut, what is, do you get a positive image or do you get a negative image when you hear the word shortcut? I think for a lot of people, the image is, is uh, probably a positive one. I think we all know most of the time, though, that there is a right way and a wrong way to do something, and we need to do it the right way. Um, we, we are really big on cutting corners sometimes, though, and we think that we can you know, round something off, and, and, and we, we get tempted to do that. Let me, let me put this in a little different perspective for you this morning. Maybe this will help you. Uh, I told you about being on vacation with family. One of the people that we're with is Didi's brother, uh, Dr. Richard Chitwood. He is a vascular surgeon in Carmel at St. Vincent's, and you may have had Dr. Chitwood cut on you. If you have, congratulations, because I think he's one of the best. I think he's very competent, very smart guy. I would trust him with my life, literally. But let's just say that you had an appointment with Dr. Rick, and Dr. Rick came in and said, hey, I've been thinking about this surgery we're going to do on you here in a minute. I, I was thinking about it as I laid in bed last night. I think I can cut a couple of steps out of the surgery and, and make the surgery a little shorter. How about we do that? What would your answer be? No. I want the full surgery, thank you very much. I'm not interested in a short surgery. I'm interested in a whole body, right? I want you to do everything that's necessary to send me out and, and I would be healthy because if you take a shortcut, that might not be the case. Um, you see, I'm not interested in you saving time. I'm interested in me getting better. Prisons are full of people who took shortcuts to fame, to finances, to riches, to prestige. Our prisons are full of people who decided that the right way to do things was not necessarily the best way for them, and they took a shortcut. The reason that we take shortcuts is not because we don't know how to get from here to there. The reason we take shortcuts is because we're trying to save something. We're trying to save some time or some energy, some hours, some money. So for the sake of our time together this morning, let's define what a shortcut is. You could define it cut it up a lot of different ways, but for our time this morning, this is a shortcut. An effort to do the right thing in the wrong way. That's a shortcut. An effort to do the right thing the wrong way. Now, I think for most of us, we really do want to do the right thing. We do. Now, the problem is we don't often want to do the right thing the right way, and in an effort to save ourselves some time or, or a little headache or, or whatever, we run the risk of sacrificing things like our character, and our integrity, and our purity, and our reputation, and our self-esteem. All those things that are really, really important to us. We, we probably have a story. I know I do. We, we probably all have stories that we could tell on ourselves where we took a shortcut. We decided to lop off something that we should have just gone ahead and done, and it cost us in terms of integrity, character, self-esteem, you know, reputation, something like that. Now, there's a difference between the way a Jesus follower lives life and the way a non-Jesus follower approaches life, or at least there should be. And it all comes down to worldview. Okay, we've all got a, you, you have a way, a lens through which you see the world. And that's your worldview. And, and when you come to Christ and you live your life for Jesus, you see the world through a different worldview 
than people who don't follow Jesus. How you view God determines how you will live your life. Whether or not you believe in God will more than likely have a direct impact on the ways that you live your life. You know, you see things like integrity and, and, and honesty and character. They should mean more to us because of our faith, because of who we represent and who we claim to be. We believe that God does not lie. See, all of, our, all of the things that we would talk about in terms of character, all of that should be informed by the God we serve. It, it all comes from there, and I'm going to make this case in just a minute. But, but things like honesty. We, we believe that God does not lie, therefore we don't want to lie. We want to be like God. We want to be like Jesus, and Jesus was humble, so we try to be humble. We believe that God wants us to have good character, so we try to live an upright life because God is a person of great character. But what I'm trying to say is that morality comes from somewhere. The standard uh, for how we behave and what we want to be like there is a perfect standard somewhere. And if you don't have a perfect standard, there's no use in having any standard. A bad standard is, not, is worthless. Um, let me show you a building to try and make my case. This, this is a place in Paris, France. This is called the International Bureau of Weights and Measures. You're like, Brett, why, why are you showing me that? So let's pretend Okay, you own a business. Your business is injection molding. And you're going to go into the molding business. You're going to mold plastics to sell to the masses. And one of the things you want to market is you want to market measuring spoons and measuring cups. So the first thing you have to figure out, if you're going to make a one-cup measuring cup, you have to know exactly how big that cup's going to be. You can't eyeball that. You can't just, you know, mold something and go, well, that kind of looks like a cup. No. If you do that, every recipe that gets fixed with your particular cup is going to be wrong because they didn't measure the right amount of whatever has to go in there. And sometimes it could, you know, extra can mean problems or not enough can mean problems. And so you've got to have a standard. So if you're going to figure out how big does this thing need to be, you need to be able to see a perfect likeness of a one cup Measuring cup, you have to know exactly how big that cup is. That is where the standard for measuring cups comes from. Without God, we have no standard for character. We have no standard for truth. You, you, you might point to somebody and say, well, that can be the standard. You know, they're, they're kind of honest. They're mostly honest. Yeah, but sometimes they're not honest. That's not a perfect standard. You see, we, we, we achieve or we strive for a perfect standard, and that standard is set for us by God. Without God, you will be more likely to cut a corner. But for the believer who has an eternal purpose, we believe in God. We believe that there are eternal consequences for the decisions that we make. And so for us to take a shortcut when it comes to things like integrity and purity and honesty, it should bother us. The truth is, as believers, we are not immune. We are as susceptible as anybody. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're immune to the temptations that come along that say, hey, you know, shave that off right there. Cut that corner. Don't, you, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to do that part. We can be tempted to take shortcuts that we, we, we think we need to, to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish, and sometimes we can be tempted 
to take shortcuts in areas where we think God wants things to be accomplished. Here's the tragedy. For every blessing, for every relationship, for every financial thing or relational thing that you might uh, come up against, anything good that God wants to bring to you, there will always be a way to shortcut that process. There will always be a way for you to take, round it off, to, to try to get to it a little quicker, a little easier. Um, and the way life works is the alternative or the shortcut generally presents itself before God presents his method to you. What I'm saying is, when you're waiting on God to show you the right way and you see the right way before you, and you're like, okay, this is going to take some steps. Generally what happens is someone or something comes along and says, hey, have you thought about doing it like this? You can save a few steps. You can cut the corner here and maybe get there a little faster. I'm just telling you that it just seems like the, the, the shortcuts will always present themselves before God's plan, you know, really, before it can really come to fruition. You, there's just going to be some way for you to shortcut it, to, to take it a little shorter. It's a pattern. It's, it's kind of a principle. Now, I've lost track of the people that I've seen in the dating scene. Uh, I've talked to a lot of little girls, and sometimes not little girls, but, but women who they're getting older in life, their clock is ticking, they're wanting a man, they're afraid that their looks are fading, they're afraid their, you know, their body's not going to be able to have a baby, and they really want a baby, and, you know, there's just, there's this, they, they hear it, tick, 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 and I see them, so I've had conversations where they, they say things like, Brett, time is running out for me, do you not understand? It's running out for me, and they, they're just convinced that, that um, God has something better for them, I keep telling them, you know, God's got something better, I know that, but I just, I, I'm, I'm so afraid that if I wait, if I, don't, if I don't settle down with this guy, even though she's already told me this guy is not good to her, this guy is flawed, I'll ask, are, you know, are there anything that scares you about maybe making this guy your husband? And they'll, sometimes they'll say, yeah, there's some things, but Brett, you know, I'm, I'm running out of time. <laughs> there's a right way to do it, and there's a shortcut. I want to show you a friend of mine. This is my good friend, Beverly Petty Payne. I know her as Bev. And I met Bev over 20 years ago when I had just taken over as the pastor here, um, as the preaching pastor. And, and um, we were going to do a, jo a John Maxwell leadership simulcast. And she worked for John. And she was my liaison. And this was before we had Tracy. So all the logistics fell to me. <laughs> yeah. So I needed her, okay? I needed her to talk me through things. We were on the phone a lot, and this was a pretty intense season in our church. It was a int very intense season for me, um, and so Bev and I were on the phone, I mean, several times a week there toward the end, and when you're on the phone with someone that much, you get to know them. We, we, we just became friends, and she would tell me about the guy she was dating. She was over 30, and she was saying things like that to me, like, Brett, I'm not getting any younger, and these guys I'm dating are are stupid you know they're just stupid i can't marry these guys brett she finally found one he looked great then she found out he had other boy girlfriends and um just and she she was like brett how do i know when will i know what do i do and so we became friends i prayed for her many times this picture that you're looking at is actually in my credenza when i open the door to my credenza i see that picture and every time i see him i pray for him this is her husband bryson Payne. he's a phd He's a brilliant guy. He's written books. He's an author. He travels the world teaching about computers. Just, um, and, and, and Bryson was sick this summer, almost lost him two or three times. 
uh, was very, very sick with a heart thing. And so I've been in touch with Bev, just telling her I was praying for her. Well, I saw a thing in December. She posted this very picture, and she said that she had just celebrated 16 years uh, of, of marital bliss with Bryson, and she talked about how hard the last year had been for him. And so I, I texted her and asked her if I could use her story, and she's so gracious. She said, absolutely, you can use my story. I said, Bev, how old are you? She said, I'm 50. So you do the math, about 33 she meets Bryson. They eventually get married. They have two smart, beautiful boys. One of them's 15, getting ready to start college. Brilliant. Bev didn't settle. Bev didn't cut a corner. She would talk to me about how I expect God's best, and if I expect God's best, I cannot cut a corner and expect God to give me the best. And so she held out, even though it would have been easy for her to settle down. She had a couple of these suitors that really were interested in her and, and wanted to settle down with her, and she just kept saying, no, I just don't think this is right. It's pretty easy to date in this country. It's easy to have a relationship. It's easy to do all that stuff, but it's really hard to wait for God's timing and God's person to come along. She did not settle. She trusted God and waited for the things that, that she knew God wanted to supply to her. I texted her this week, said, hey, Bev, can I use your story? She said, absolutely. And uh, so in the course of that texting back and forth, it was about, about 10 minutes worth. We went back and forth. Just, she was telling me about Bryson and the kids. And at one point she said this, I'm glad I waited through the lonely years. God was there then and now. Teenagers, listen to me. I know you want friends. I know you want people that you can hang out with, that you can call your buds. I know you, want, you don't want to be a lonely person. You don't, you, you don't want to feel isolated. I, I get all that. In your search to find good people, you're going you're gonna to run across some people that aren't so good. You're going to run across some people that are easy to make friends with but aren't necessarily going to be good for you. Shortcuts are always easier. I know you're going to say, Brett, I'm tired of being by myself. I'm tired of not having a friend. I'm tired of not having people that I can hang out with. Shortcuts are always on the path of least resistance. And I've taught this for years, but it really is true. It is so much easier to make friends with a bad person than it is to, it's easier to make bad friends than it is to make good friends. Why is that? Because good people, People that you want to be really good friends. Listen, if you're a teenager, listen to me. This is solid gold, okay? You will go as far in life as the people with whom you surround yourself, okay? If you have great dreams and aspirations, if you want the best life you can possibly have, you need good people around you. You don't want bad people. And it's easier to make friends with bad people than it is good people. Do you know why? Because good people, people who make good friends, are very, very discerning. They have a circle, and it's hard to penetrate that circle. Before you get into that circle, you have to prove yourself as a good friend. You have to prove yourself that you're going to be somebody that offers good things to their life and not negativity. You're not going to drag them down. You're not going to bring drama. You're not going to, that you're going to be a good friend. Bad people, they're looking for any kind of people around them because more than likely they're looking to take advantage. They're going to use you. They're not going to be good friends. So it's easy to make friends with people like that. It's really, really difficult to make really good friends. I promise you, whatever you're pursuing in life, there is a shortcut to get there. 
And that shortcut will likely present itself to you before God has revealed his best to you. You will be tempted to opt for the good thing, but to go for it in a, in a not such a good way. God is up to something in your life, and there is more going on than what you see. And when we take shortcuts, we risk getting cut out of the great experience that God had for us. You say, Brett, doesn't God want me to be happy? Doesn't he want me to be fulfilled and get the most out of life? Yes. The question is not, where do we want to be? The question is, are you going to take the shortcut or will you pay the price and do what it takes to do it the right way? I promise you, when you do it God's way, you're going to be more fulfilled. You're going to have more. It's going to feel better. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to have some support. Some people say, no, I'm not willing to pay that price. I'm not going to wait. I, I, I don't want to wait. I want it now. Get out of my way. And again, I can understand how a non-believer might think that way, wanting to take a shortcut because they, they don't have an eternal perspective and they don't see things the way we see it. But for the Christian with an eternal perspective, it should be different for us. Many times, however, it's not different for us. Many times we opt for the shortcut. And I just wonder, why do we do that? Well, I think that there are several reasons I want to give them to you. The first one is we don't trust God. I don't think we trust God. I don't think we think that God is as good as he says he is. We don't think that he's going to uh, really give us the things that he promised. We, we don't know that he's capable to really deliver the kind of life that we want. And we don't say it like this, but this is kind of what we're thinking on the inside. God, I just really don't trust that you are going to come along and provide for me the very best things that I need. We can get focused on the wrong thing. Brett, what if I don't marry this person? What if another person doesn't come along? What if nobody else ever wants to marry me? What am I going to do? Brett, what if I, if I don't settle for this friend? I may not have any friends, and I'm tired of being alone. I don't like being lonely. I want some friends. When we take shortcuts, what we're saying to God is, I doubt that you are faithful to keep your promises to me. So one of the reasons we take shortcuts is we don't trust God. Uh, uh, we don't believe God. The second reason we take shortcuts is we're greedy. We're greedy. I was talking to some greeters out front, and I, they said, somebody just came through and told us we're great greeters. We're great greeters. I said, did they say greeters? Or did they say, they, they said, they said we were greedy. I said, was it greedy or greedy? Right? There's a difference in those two things. We get greedy sometimes. We get focused on that thing, that dollar sign, that, that person that we want, and we forget that there's a whole world out there and God's in the middle of it and he's going to bring to us the things that he wants to bring opportunities the right opportunities the right people the right resources but we want to fast forward to the end but here's the problem with fast forwarding to the end when you fast forward to the end you skip time you skip the process you skip the struggle and the thing about that is, many, many times, that is where God forges our character. That's where he makes us the kind of person that makes us a good friend. It's in the struggle. It's in the process. It's in the, the time that is spent. I tell you this all the time, but it's really true. The life lessons I have learned, the things that I pass on in counseling, the things that when people come to me like, Brett, how do I do this? When I, if I'm going to give you an answer, it's usually from my own experience, and it's usually I learned it the hard way. God had to take me behind the woodshed 
and, and give it to me the hard way, right? Because you have to go through hardship that sometimes that's the only way we learn the lessons. And so many of the lessons I've learned, the life lessons I've learned, I learned with a frown on my face. It's as if God said, Brett, I'm going to teach you something that you're never going to forget, but to do that, I have to take you through some hard stuff. It's the only way that you're going to know and remember. But see, when you take the shortcut, you skip the struggle. You skip the process. You skip the time. And you take God out of the picture, and then he doesn't have a chance to give you the tools and the wisdom and the resources necessary to be tough and to endure in hard times. So let's, let's have some fun. If I ask people, what's your favorite movie? A lot of times they say, well, I don't have just one favorite movie. So, so think about, you know, if you have top five, think about one of the movies in your top five. And let's say that uh, I asked you, what's one of your top five movies? And you say, have you seen that? And I say, no. And they say, oh, Brett, you got to watch that. So I say, okay, I'll, I'll, watch, I'll watch it. But I don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to stream. I'm going to get to the end. I'm going to skip the middle. I'm just going to get straight to the end. What would you say? No. No, you can't just watch the end. If you get to the end, the end's the best part, but the end doesn't make any sense if you don't watch the whole movie and see the character development and how the story unfolds and understand why this, this thing at the end doesn't make any sense. See, you can't appreciate the ending if you haven't invested the time to go through the middle to see the character's development, to, to see the, the story develop and the process. That's what makes the ending so incredible. My favorite movie, or one of them, certainly in the top five for me, is a movie called Casablanca. How many of you have seen Casablanca? You are so ripped off in life, my goodness. Well, I'm gonna try and help you with that. I'm gonna show you, there's a famous scene in Casablanca, you've heard the lines, you've heard when, when, when uh, it's, it's got uh, Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman and it's at the end of the movie and he looks at her and he says, we'll always have Paris. And then there's, a, you know, several times throughout the movie he says, here's looking at you, kid. Now, I know you guys watch Star Wars and Marvel movies and things like that, but would you please do yourself a favor and watch a real movie? <laughs> I mean, that is a classic black and white Humphrey Bogart, classic lines, it does not get any better than that. So you, you saw the ending, that's the very end of the movie, and you might wonder, well, why is she so confused? And why is he so serious? And why, you know, it sounds like that they want to be together, but they can't be together. Why is that? Well, you'd have to see the whole movie to understand that they can't be together. He's, he's making decisions that will protect her and and help her, and he's really helping, making, trying to make decisions that will benefit the world. I mean, again, you got to watch the movie to understand why he would do that, because he's, he loves that woman. He, he wants nothing. He, the whole movie is about how depressed he's been, because he can't be with her. And at the end of the movie, he makes this decision, I'm not going to be with you. I'm going to send you with this other guy, because you guys are going to have a life together, and I've got to do some things that you can't do. You wouldn't know any of that if you don't watch the whole movie. It, does, it doesn't make any sense. Sometimes we take a shortcut because we get greedy. Sometimes we take a shortcut because we don't trust God. And sometimes we take a shortcut because we are short-sighted. We have to have it now. I want to be married now. I want to date now. I want money now. I want friends now. I want the car now. We get focused on now, and God says, look, I want you focused on the eternal. I want you focused on something bigger than that. And we miss it because we're short-sighted, and we can't see beyond now. Consequently, we pay a high price sometimes and we wish we could go back and undo some of the things that we did today for the time we have left and it's not going to be long we're going to take a, a look at at um, 
uh, a story in the Bible that kind of shows shortcuts in a negative light. This person we're going to look at today um, takes a shortcut because they're afraid, because things start to get close and closed in, and, and, and we forget in those situations that God can see more than we can see. When God chose Israel to be a nation, he chose Israel specifically, and his idea was, I want the surrounding nations, I want you to be a light to the surrounding nations. I want to be the example, the shining example, and I want to be your God, and I want to show them that I would be that way to them, but you're going to be the ones that demonstrate all this, but you've got to listen to me, and you've got to do what I tell you to do. But one of the things that God chose to do was to not govern the people with, judge, with, uh, with kings, but he was going to use judges and prophets as somewhat of an authority, but really it came down to God wanted to be the leader of the nation of Israel. Now, from a human perspective, that sounds inefficient to us because we asked the question, well, who's going to be in charge? And God said, look, don't worry about that. I'll be your king. I'll see to it that everything works out for the nation of Israel. Eventually, the people would start to whine and eventually the people would ask for a king. And God told Samuel, you tell them, I'll give them a king. But they're not going to like it. The king is going to take advantage of them. They're going to wish they'd never had a king. So the first king was King Saul. And God tells Saul right up front, listen, I've not changed my way of doing things. I'm the one in charge. I want, I want Israel to be a light to all the other nations. And so Saul, even though you are the king, I'm in charge. Saul, do you understand that? And Saul said, yes. And God led Israel through the prophet Samuel. And Samuel spoke on God's behalf. And Samuel is speaking to Saul on God's behalf, and he says, listen, when you go to war, when there's war at your borders, don't charge into battle. You need to do the same thing that, that you've always done. You need to get a prophet. You need to call on me, build an altar, offer sacrifice to me, and let me intervene. Saul, I want to fight your battles. I don't want you to get the credit. I want the credit, okay? I want the other nations to see me as God. I want people looking to me, not to you. And Saul agreed, and that's where we, we begin our story. Things are going great for the nation of Israel, and then all of a sudden, Saul uh, makes a mistake. There's been peace, there's been prosperity, and then Saul messes up. 1 Samuel first 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul chose 3,000 men from Israel. 2,000 were with him at Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan at Gibeah and Benjamin. The rest of the men he sent back to their homes. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, probably at Saul's command. And the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost, and now Israel has become obnoxious to the Philistines. So Jonathan, probably because Saul told him, goes and kicks the hornet's nest, and now the Philistines are going to come for the Israelites. So that's where they are. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Verse 5. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the, the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. So they're getting tired. Things aren't going well. They're getting frustrated. 
Verse 7, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. And then this is the key line. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. Now Samuel knew they were going to have a conflict. He knew this was going to happen. And earlier on, he had told Saul, don't rush off into battle. Don't be hasty. Don't get things out of order. There's an order to this. We've got to do things the right way. We're going to go with God. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And we're going to count on God to intervene. But you wait until I get to Gilgal. Don't do anything without me. Verse 8, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So Saul is seeing his troops dissipate. Verse 9, so he said, bring me the burnt offering, this is Saul talking, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Who's supposed to do it? Samuel. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went to greet him. So get the picture. Saul's just like we are. He's he's facing a crisis. Things are not going his way. In fact, they're getting worse. He's losing troops. His men are starting to whine and complain. They're getting fearful. They're starting to hide. This is not going well. He's waiting, waiting, waiting. Samuel's supposed to show up. Samuel is not here. It's the seventh day. Now it's lunch. Now it's afternoon. Now the sun is starting to go down. We're getting late in the day. Where's Samuel? Samuel, you should be here. He's not here. Well, Saul panics. And so he says, bring me the offering. Samuel's not here. I'm going to offer the offering on the altar of God. And in his panic and in his short-sightedness, he offers the sacrifice. And just as he's finishing up, guess who shows up? Samuel. You ever done something in your life and almost the second you do it, you're like, oh, I just made a huge mistake. You ever done that? Isn't that the sickest feeling in the world? I think that's where Saul is right now. I think he looks up and he sees Samuel and he knows he just messed up. And Samuel's going to confront him with it. That's the moment for Saul. Verse 11, what have you done? Asked Samuel. Samuel replied, when I saw the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, I thought, I thought, in other words, I looked around at my circumstances, I put two and two together, and I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. And here's the phrase that I've highlighted for you. This is the big phrase. I felt compelled. I felt compelled compelled when the circumstances feel tight and close and we get short-sighted we panic oftentimes instead of waiting for god we know that's the right thing to do we start looking for a shortcut we feel compelled and we take matters into our own hands we take a shortcut we do what we think is the right thing but we take a shortcut to get there so i felt compelled to offer the burnt offerings isn't it true When you get tempted, I mean, we could all get up here and tell a story about a time when we got tempted to take a shortcut. And I could, we could all talk about the lessons that we've learned when we took a shortcut and we had to pay for it. When we took a shortcut and we hurt somebody. When we took a shortcut and we lost some money. 
We took a shortcut and it cost us a friendship. There's just this feeling that we get that if we don't do it, if we don't take matters into our own hands, we're going to miss something. God, I can't wait on you any longer. This has gone on long enough. I, have, I don't have any other choice. I can't wait for things to turn out the right way. I can't wait for the law to change. I can't wait for them to notice me. I've got to do something now. And we can hear God in our spirit saying, shh, wait. Wait for me. This isn't the way. We can hear it. We can hear it. We can know I shouldn't move too fast. Give me a little time. Be patient. Trust me. But we feel compelled. That's the nature of fear and greed and short-sightedness. When those things begin to press in on us, we feel compelled. It's a natural feeling. And I say this all the time to people, and it really is the truth. It's true in my life, and I think when I say this, you're going to understand it. At every turn, Christ calls me against my human nature. Everything that comes naturally to me, I don't care what it is, everything that comes naturally to me, Christ says, no, Brett, not that. Let's think in a spiritual realm. Christ is constantly calling me to something more spiritual, not to my base, not to the things that come naturally to me. He's calling me to think differently, to live differently, to respond differently. It just feels like if we don't take matters into our own hands sometimes, it's not going to work out. If I don't marry him, if I don't buy this car, if I don't buy this now, if I don't hang out with them now, I'm never going to have any friends. If I don't get this thing, I'm sunk. Brett, if I don't pass this class, And we get so focused on passing the class that we're not focused on how I passed the class. The important thing just becomes pass the class. No, pass the class with character, with honor, with dignity, in a way that glorifies your Father in heaven. There's a right way to pass the class. There's a wrong way to pass the class. And we put a premium on passing the class and not on how we did it. And we get tempted into taking a shortcut. And we feel compelled to take matters into our own hands. But you see, Saul's problem is our problem. We forget some things about God. One of the things we forget is that there's a a powerful God at work behind the scenes. I think we we, we just forget that he's there. We don't see him. We don't think he's working. Right now, this is a thought for you to take with you. Right now, as you sit where you're sitting listening to me, God is at work in your life preparing for something good to happen to you. I know I sound like Joel Osteen right now, and I'm not trying to sound like Joel Osteen, okay? But I do believe that. I believe that God, there's some circumstance in your life, God is at work, and you're going to be tempted to take a shortcut. Or you can wait and see what God has. And see how God works it out. The first thing we forget is that he's powerful and he's at work. The second thing is we forget that there's more at stake than simply winning the battle. There's more at stake than just getting married. There's more at stake than just having money, being personally fulfilled, than just making the grade, making the deal, making the money, having a friend. And when the pressure is on and it's crunch time and everything gets close and everything's changing and we don't really know what to do, 
that's when Saul said, and that's when you might say, hey man, we might look at Saul and say, who could blame him? He's waiting on Samuel. Samuel's not showing up. His, his troops are disappearing on him. He's, everything's falling apart. He's feeling like he's got to, he's a, he feels like a leader. I got to do something. And Samuel's not here. And he takes matters into his own hands. It's all well and good to, to, to feel sorry for Saul, but you got to remember, he made a deal with God. You will be in charge. I will listen to you. And Saul said, okay. And then when things got hard and scary and close, he panicked and he felt compelled. But you know what? Before we get too hard on Saul, we got to remember that God has made the same deal with us. God says, I want to show up in your life. I want to be victorious in your life. I want to win the battles. You don't get the glory. You stay humble. You let me get the glory. I want the glory for the great things that happen in your life. You wait on me. And when everything's going great and it's all wonderful and things are good in life, we're, it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, God's so good. And, you know, he's just got his plan is the best plan. It's the greatest thing. But when things get tight, when we feel it's closing in and we, when things don't look like they may go the way we want them to go, oh, we get a little worked up and we got to do something. We got to take matters into our own hands. And we start looking for a shortcut. Verse 13, Samuel is talking to Saul on God's behalf. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. Now don't miss this, because this is where you see that you might take a shortcut and win the battle, but you lose the war. If you had... He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. You would have been a legend, Saul. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. He took a shortcut, and here's the interesting thing. He still won the battle. And that may be your story. You might take the shortcut, and it all work out okay. God may be gracious to come behind you after taking the shortcut and, and, and help it all work out. He did the deal. He offered the sacrifice. He went into battle anyway, and God showed up and delivered a victory. Today, when we think about Saul, though, we don't think about Saul as a legend. We don't think about Saul as a great man, a man of honor and character and loyalty and a man of God, a man after God's own heart. We don't think any of those things. Instead, Saul is a sad figure to us today. We know Saul as someone who rebelled against God. We know Saul as someone who didn't listen to God, who took matters into his own hands. Later on, David is going to come onto the picture, and it said there earlier, I read that to you, it said God was looking for a man after God's own heart. That was David. He could have looked at Saul and said that. He could have, Saul could have been the one that God looked at and said, this is a man after my, my own heart, but that wasn't going to be the case. What a great leader we could have said about Saul. What a great man of God, a great man of character and dignity and, and honor, but because he panicked and he offered the sacrifice because he felt compelled. We see Saul as someone to pity. And we say, poor Saul. We see David, and don't, and don't get it wrong, David was a mess. David made some really bad mistakes. He messed up. He did some things he shouldn't have done, dumb things. But he loved God, and he listened to God. 
Saul won the battle and he lost the kingdom. Here's the moral of the story this morning. You don't know what God is up to in your life. You don't know the things that God is working on behind the scenes. And you don't know the people that God is trying to affect through your life. Believe it or not. I know some of you aren't going to believe this, but it's true. All of you have somebody that's looking to you to show them how to do this Jesus thing. They're looking to you to see how to do life. And when you take a shortcut, you short-circuit the opportunity to speak truth, God's truth, into the life of somebody else, that they might be able to do some great thing because you inspired them with the way you responded and didn't take the shortcut. Through your struggle, through your hardship, through your waiting, but we feel compelled. And when we take the shortcut, we sacrifice the chance that we may have to speak the truth that might have an impact on somebody else for eternity. And we may win the battle, and we may get what we want, but we lose the war. And when you take a shortcut, you short-circuit God's plan in your life. And sometimes we might never know how good it could have been because we took the shortcut and we short-circuited God's plan. Sometimes God will wait until the last minute on the last day, and we just think, man, there's no way God's going to show up. Listen to me. God is always on time. He is always, God's never late. God is willing to show up in your life and fix things. Because we feel compelled, we want it now. But God is more than willing to show up and fix your marriage. He's more than willing to show up and fix your finances. He's more than willing to fix your relationship. God is willing to be involved and often will give us the chance to take the shortcut to see if we'll opt for that or are we going to wait on him. He wants to know. He wants to know that he's that valuable in your life. The tragedy of opting for the shortcut is you don't know what you've missed. And you might miss an opportunity to be able to say to God, God, you've got to come through for me because I've waited on you. I've put all my eggs in your basket. I'm depending on you. What an awesome thing to be able to say to God. And I've prayed this prayer. I've gone through some things where I said, God, I, there's a shortcut here for me. I'm not going to take it. I'm going to do this your way. This is painful. I don't like it. I don't want to do it this way, but I'm going to do it your way. And God, you, it's all on you. It's not up to me now. It's on you. You have got to come through because I'm completely depending on you. You've got to see me through this. But when you opt for the shortcut, you are on your own. When you do it God's way, you can cast your cares on him. You can trust him. You can say, God, this is your responsibility. You called me to go the long way. I'm going the long way. I'm doing it your way. I'm trying not to take any shortcuts. But when you do it your way, you are responsible for the outcomes, not God. And maybe, maybe God comes along like he did for Saul and he bails you out in the battle and you still get what you want but you lose the war. The safest place you can be in life's hurricanes is the middle of God's will. God takes 100% of the responsibility for your life when you're in the middle of life's hurricanes and you fully lean into the breast of God. He takes full responsibility. And you can pray and you can say, God, I refuse to take the shortcut. I'm going to do this your way, and I'm going to trust you for the outcome. I trust you. There are three kinds of people. We're, I'm going to tell you this, and we're, we're done. 
Real simple. Three kinds of people listening to me right now. The first group of you says this. He's been reading my emails, man. How does he do that? How does he do that? I'm not that good. The Holy Spirit is that good. Okay? If it feels like I'm reading your email, it's because the Holy Spirit is that good. And he's trying to get your attention. I had somebody walk out this morning and they said, yeah, Brett, but it's every week. And I said, well, you're, you're listening to the Holy Spirit, not me. But you're hearing it and you're, you're like, man, he's reading my emails. He's right. I have been taking shortcuts. There's another group of you that says, this doesn't apply to me. Well, maybe not now, but there's a time coming when you're going to be presented with a chance to take a shortcut. And you could short circuit something really good that God wants to give you because you, you tried to cut a corner. And then the last group is the group that says, I wish I'd heard this a month ago. I wish I'd heard this a week ago or a year ago. What I would say to you is next week, we are going to pick up with part two, and I'll try to help you with that. Let's, uh, we're going to have people down front to pray with you if you'd like to do that at the end of service. Uh, but before we do that, let's close in prayer together. Let me pray over you. Father, You've challenged us this morning to do it the right way, not the easy way, to not necessarily take the path of least resistance. You've given us the example of Saul, who was a very insecure, um, oftentimes disobedient leader who just did not understand that you have a different way. And God, sometimes that's us. We, we just do not get it through our thick heads that you've got a different way you're up to something you want to communicate something and when we take the shortcut we short circuit all of that i pray father that you would help us as we go out this week to be aware of the shortcuts to be aware of your voice that when you tell us to wait or you call us to something different maybe sometimes something that's even more painful or harder that we'll listen that we'll do it knowing that we can cast our cares on you and, and you become responsible for the outcome, not us. But when we shortcut it, we are responsible and the blame falls to us. Help us, Father, to do the right thing. We pray all this in the precious, holy, beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.